Hey, I'm Ben Silverio. And I'm Ansel Birch. And it's time, time to party. We are not doctors. We don't give medical advice. Please drink responsibly. This special episode is recorded on January 15th, 2024. Well, I don't know why I said it was a special episode. On this very special episode of Time to Party, <laughs> we're going to learn about life after death. Oh. And after death, and after death, and after death. So many deaths. <laughs> Welcome back, party people. Thank you for joining us for another exciting edition of Time to Party, where the points don't matter, everything's made up, and... <laughs> <laughs> I'm st- I blatantly stole that from Drew Carey. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't. I actually don't think you stole that from Drew Carey. I think you stole that from whoever the British guy was that started that. Oh, true. Yeah. Well, do you remember his name? I don't. I mean, at least I said Drew Carey. But I'm gonna not, find uh, out. Yeah. Right. Look at that. We have the internet. <laughs> I just trust that I will find out. Um, who were you? Who were you worried about saying? Oh, uh, Aisha Tyler. Oh, because <laughs> she was. Well, are the... we mad at Aisha Tyler? I mean, I'm not mad about it. I was just. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, she's she's I, the I just... most recent one. Yes, yeah, she is. She is. And and I would argue one of the best. She's oh, absolutely, incredible. Aisha Tyler, so good at everything. Really, Tr- truly, Lana, Lana. <laughs> Oh man, Archer is coming to an end this year. A lot of things are coming to an end this year. Oh, that's sad. I know, right? Ugh. How about things stop like ending? You know, like like jobs and TV shows oh, and the, yeah. you know journalism. Just remember, every new beginning comes from uh, some other beginning's end. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Clive Anderson, by the way, is the original Clive host of Clive Anderson. <laughs> yes, I would not have gotten that in a million years. And I've watched Same. that show. I, like, <laughs> I think the problem is that we're not English, so we don't have any other context for Clive Anderson outside of whose line. I feel like British um game show hosts. Like, I feel like Clive is a pretty good guess of what their name is. There's got to be a lot of Clives who who host shows in the UK. Seems likely, yeah. <laughs> Have you ever met a Clive? Do you know a Clive? Uh, you know, I don't think I do. Maybe it's a name that's entirely reserved for TV uh, personalities. Ah, right. Um, now I'm on the lookout for Clives. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they'd be over in the UK, not here, right? <laughs> Clive Owen, uh, Clive. That's literally the only one I can think of. Clive Man. Barker. Clive Barker. That's yeah. right. Uh, there's got to be other famous there's a Clives. record producer named Clive Davis. Oh yeah, right. He is probably here in LA. Is he still living? I remember talking about him in like high school, grade school. Um, (laughs) 
Yeah, this whole list of other Clives, none of them ring a bell. <laughs> I love how your Google search history is Sean Connery in a mankini and famous Clives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take that FBI. <laughs> I hope like Tab walks in at some point and she's like, mankini? <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, full disclosure, the soundproofing in my office is bad enough that she is actually chatting me from the other room. I showed you the TikTok about James Bond. (laughs) (laughs) That's glorious. Hi, Tab. I mean, no, she can't hear me because you have headphones on, but. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no. I'll I'll tell her you said hi. Awesome. Well, uh, before we go and do that, we got a movie to talk about. We do. We do. Yes. Uh, an exciting movie. A movie A movie so good, they had to make sure everybody could understand what the hell the name of the movie even was. <laughs> right? Because it, it, it went by, like, two different things, but it's also based on another mm-hmm. thing that's titled something completely different. But we're going to call it Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, but it's also known as Live, Die, Repeat, Edge of Tomorrow. Yes. Um, it's based on the book All You Need Is Kill, which was also a graphic novel. But um, if you don't know what we're talking about, our good friends at IMDb describe the movie like this. A soldier fighting aliens gets to relive the same day over and over again, the day restarting every time he dies. So basically, it's a fucked up Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. It's, it's Groundhog Day with Lots of guns. Intense stakes. Oh, yeah. That that, that guns, yes. Yeah. (laughs) I I like that early on, the established thing from from Emily Blunt's character is you have to make sure you die. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I mean, I guess. The the stakes, the stakes, they are high. All right. It's true. Yeah. Um, And, you know. Like Groundhog Day, it's actually a lot funnier than you think it's going to be. Well, in Groundhog Day's case, it's a lot darker than you think it's going to be. So really, Edge of Tomorrow is like the the other way around. <laughs> yeah, the two of them kind of like start at polar opposites and meet in the middle oh. at points. It doesn't yeah. stay there. No, that's true. As I mentioned in uh, the last episode, um, I, I read an interview where someone described... Uh, Tom Cruise's character's demise as like a wily coyote type of situation happening to him. Because while, you know, these deaths do get gruesome, they are kind of funny. Some of them, yeah. Especially, Especially all the ones towards the middle where he just sort of sighs before it happens. It's like, <laughs> He's like, oh, great. <laughs> but what what a training montage. Oh, man. Yes. <laughs> And, you know, I want to say this up top. Um, I really like this movie. Like, I'm not really one to, to 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 seek out, like, Tom Cruise's typical action movie stuff. Mm-hmm. But, like, this had a fun enough twist with, like, a, a, a script that ended up being, you know, pr- fairly straightforward for as confusing as it kind of was. Um, at least or, as confusing as it could have been exactly yeah. as it could have been yeah um but yeah i remember really liking this movie and i was really excited when they started talking about a sequel and then none oh. of that happened 
Well, because part of it was, uh, you know, Tom Cruise is busy. And yeah. then um, they really started to talk about it around 2019. And, uh. and so when the pandemic happened, things like pushed back a lot. Yeah. But good news, um, there is talk about a sequel again. Because Emily Blunt ha- has been saying uh, how she would totally do it. And now that Tom Cruise has a deal over I at I believe Warner Brothers, um, because yeah, he signed some sort of deal um with the studio recently, and one of the things that they were talking about was a sequel to to this movie. So things are in the works again, um, and it totally was Warner Brothers, yes. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, as long as Zaslav doesn't uh, completely shit the bed again, uh, we may get this. <laughs> because at one point, there was supposed to be a TV show um, developed as a spinoff for this oh. um, in in 22. But uh, that hasn't really materialized yet. I could see that really making sense, too. Yeah, because, you know, like, there's a lot of possibility for spinoff, right? Like, I mean, J-Squad has a lot of backstory. Um, If you remember um, the bit about, oh, my God, what's his name? I was going to call him Firestorm because that's who he is on the CW. Um, (laughs) Friends drama, yeah. Uh, He was Ford. Um, They talk about how he is not really Ford. Ford right. is his uh, his, his fellow soldier name. who died on the first day. And so he took his name to send money back to Ford's family. Which, man, what a what a hell of a thing to just throw in is like, a, oh, yeah, here's here's a thing we didn't talk about before that this guy just happens to know. Exactly. Right. Like you got glimpses of everyone's backstory because of Cage just doing things over and over again and just like randomly asking questions Mm -hmm. i am a little sad we didn't see any of the uh any of the rounds where he did that he was Mm. clearly just mining people for information (laughs) uh do you at what point do you think he resets like do you think after he's having that conversation he just pulls out the gun and is just like (laughs) in front of the person like like what do you what yeah how how do you go about that and at what point in the in the like process do you go okay i've done as much combat training as i possibly can now it's time for me to do some research on people in case i need to convince them to help me later uh yeah i imagine it's that sequence from groundhog day where he's just you know doing all that stuff over and over again (laughs) yeah probably probably um but we did kind Uh, of get that sequence here too how so Uh, i mean like it was more so the training montage but like what a great montage (laughs) we got the training montage we did get to see him periodically like get outside of the training cycle uh like when he averted the fight with the two guys in the alley um granted that one was not the first time he'd clearly been through that situation before uh but it established how he sort of like asks questions naturally as part of his conversation style well here is Uh, a question that i had going into this 
because you know i had seen this movie before when i rewatched it but this time around i really like thought about this fact wouldn't it be a liability for cage to enter the battlefield without any knowledge of how to use any of the equipment that is my big question for the whole thing and and when i was first thinking about brandon gleason and i thought back to like oh it's too bad that brandon gleason didn't get more to do um the other thing that came up for me was like how did brennan gleason motivate that choice like okay guy who doesn't know anything i'm gonna strap a very expensive looking piece of machinery to you that you do not know how to use that you're certainly going to die in for for why like did he did he kick brennan gleason's kid's puppy or right like Like, what happened the the only reason basically was that uh that major cage was uh disobeying a direct order you know because he didn't want to go over with the first wave and it's just like well for one but what but what motivates that direct order like that's my question it's like why would why would you want cage in that thing in the first place yes no um so the whole thing was that uh cage was a pr guy basically he was running a pr company and like he was doing all of the the motivating to get people to sign up, right? And I guess Gleason wanted more soldiers, right? So he wanted to send like a camera crew led by Cage. But when Cage didn't want to do it, um, and I feel like rightfully so, right? Like, why would mm-hmm. you send that guy over? Um, yeah, Gleason was probably just like, oh, this dick. <laughs> do you think that Fuck was the his thing? Day. Was like originally, originally there would have been a camera crew with him, but it sort of devolved. Because I got the impression that Gleason's character, that was his plan from the start, was like, Cage is a piece of shit, and you know what? I don't need to deal with this guy. I'm just going to put him in a mech suit and let him die on the front. Oh, no. Uh, like, I'm pretty sure that the whole motivation was because, like, Gleason wanted Cage to shoot more propaganda, you know, like, that could accompany him on those, like, talking mm-hmm. head shows, you know. Um, but when Cage was like, nah, he... he escalated from there the last straw was the blackmail because cage tried to to blackmail his commanding officer so you know you know those military types not too fond of blackmail move yeah no no. yeah not a great move weirdly not into it (laughs) (laughs) yeah um but it's just like the fact that you would throw him in just to die is one thing, but he could kill a number of people before he dies <laughs> mm-hmm. if he doesn't know how to use the stuff. But then I guess that well, leads in. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and it, it does seem like a huge waste of resources, not just in Cage, who is himself a resource. Like those are skills that you're not going to get in somebody else, but also just like that's a mech suit that another person could have been using and a seat in that dropship that somebody else could have been using and ammo that somebody else could have been using. Hold on, Ansel. Are you saying that the military would actually use, <laughs> would actually, you know, uh, not consider the resources and use them improperly? I, I, they wouldn't. I, that's what makes it so implausible. <laughs> oh man. Um, I, I, we said in the first episode, but you know, cease fire, please, immediately, please, please, um, right out loud. Yeah, right. Like God. Um, 
but you know that that kind of brings us over to the time travel mechanism now because it happens mm-hmm. because he's over there and fighting when he shouldn't be and so the the way that this is explained is that the the mimics which are the alien invaders in this case um one of the alpha mimics like basically bled into Tom Cruise and got mixed up into his bloodstream and because of that he was then inserted into their whole like hive that was able to time travel that's, for some reason that's the theory yeah that's wild it's just it like pretty pretty yeah mind-boggling yeah because it's just like uh, oh hey how does the time travel work in this movie oh you know blood I will say it does feed into uh, a sort of meta narrative about fate. Mm. Uh, and it's called out at the beginning. Farrell talks about, says, and what is my definitive position on the concept of fate? And all of the, all of the soldiers know the line through readiness and discipline. We are masters of our fate, which is the, like, that is exactly what Tom Cruise's character has to yeah. go through. He has to discipline himself. He has to prepare himself and, only through that can he be master of this situation he finds himself in. But the fact that they choose fate as the word that the that is the linchpin there suggests to me that we are supposed to think of this as, as a thing that is fated to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a very um, that is a good point about the thesis statement of this movie, because, you know, any good sci fi really turns a mirror to its audience, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's a good message to put out, right? Like, be prepared. Um, but you know, uh, yeah, that's interesting. The, and something I clearly ha- did not consider. <laughs> but they, um, they nailed it home hard enough early in the film that I was like, okay, clearly that's. Either that's just a really good line that the scriptwriter was like, no, no, that has to be in the movie. Do not take that out. Mm-hmm. Um, or that's the thesis. Um, it's got it's one of the two. And I've written scripts where I came up with a cool turn of phrase that I insisted on making it in there. So oh, like, yeah. I sympathize with both both options. Absolutely. I think it was happening so early in the film where I was enjoying Tom Cruise being the damsel in distress. Um, I did I, put in my notes. It's fun to see Tom Cruise play absolute terror. Yeah, definitely. Like the cowardice just seeping from his pores, literally because he was sweating the entire time on that transport. Right. And he's just but, like, where's the safety? <laughs> <laughs> that was such a great, great bit. A, and they still didn't really answer it. Never <laughs> had, told him. He, he had, had to, to figure press it buttons. out on his own. <laughs> he was just button mashing. <laughs> <laughs> Managed to set the whole thing to Chinese or, or something. And <laughs> Yeah, but you know, uh, video games were definitely a huge inspiration for this whole story. Oh, for sure. I mean, who hasn't done that exact thing in a video game where it's oh, like, yeah. okay, well, I, I died that time, so I know not to I'm not going to try and jump over that pit. I got to find some. OK, there's that thing floating over. So I'm going to jump to that and then I'm going to go to the other side of the, you know. Oh, yeah, it's that's absolutely what what this was. If that wasn't the inspiration, then 
uh, I will be very impressed. Yeah. Um, but like it borrows from video games in a way that wasn't so corny, you know, like it wasn't so uh, heavy handed, I guess you could say, as something like pixels. You know? Oh, sure. Sure. But like obviously pixels and rampage are like those movies where it's like, yes, obviously this is the video game adaptation, but like this kind of takes a more uh, nuanced approach to it um, in a way that kind of makes the time loop um, fresh again. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, like we've talked I- about a number of time loop movies on this, on this podcast already. Right. And there's just, so many that like the time loop is like a old reliable trope but edge of tomorrow manages to make it fresh and fun again yeah well and i think the thing that i that i really appreciate about a time loop and this one especially is the lack of control Mm -hmm. it's it's easy for time travelers to seem like they ought to have more answers because they could they could just do the day over or go back a little bit earlier and do it right or you know whatever the process that's available within their fiction is whereas a time loop they are completely out of control they have no agency and they're just sort of falling through this with the audience um so it becomes more about okay what are the choices you make when you're stuck as opposed to what are the choices you make when you have all the possibility in the universe right yeah absolutely um emily blunt totally uh and deservedly is at the center of this and i love absolutely what a great action hero truly she's so cool she's that scene where they where you first see her come out of the crashed ship Mm -hmm. and they do that pan up from below and she's got the like helicopter blade sword situation going on god damn what a cool intro taking a sword into a gunfight is a boss move so boss yeah what, what what a baller oh my god uh and and what do they call her the like the the angel of verdun no the the other one the um, oh full metal bitch the full metal bitch that's what it is which is apparently one she does not like sure yes um <laughs> as we see someone get socked for it um but i mean like why isn't she doing more of these kinds of roles? Like, I know she was in Jungle Cruise, and um, there was another one where I think she had more of an actiony, uh, actiony vibe. Um, oh yeah, Mary Poppins Returns. No, <laughs> <laughs> that bla- that backflip she does. It's just... Oh yeah. <laughs> no, you um, know what? I didn't get to. S- I didn't get to see the Adjustment Bureau. Did she get actiony in that one? Mm, I, I don't remember that movie like at all, and I'm fairly certain I saw it. Um, but I do want to say that I feel like I'm one of the few people who actually did really like Mary Poppins Returns. It was nice. It was I didn't really love nice. It, but it was like, nice. I mean, it basically copied beat for beat the original. But, like, I thought it was still nice. A couple of the songs were really catchy and, like, a lot of fun. Yeah. Lin-Manuel is delightful. Right. Can't can't do too wrong with him. Emily Blunt is incredible. The kids were also really good. Which 
I will say I usually hate any film with children in it. Mm. I, I have a very hard time with child actors. Uh, but that one, they, they were good kids. Yeah. And, you know, it could get taxing to see kids that are that had to grow up too quickly that have to act like adults. But I think these kids really nailed it, you know? Yeah, they did a good job. Uh, but just uh, Emily Blunt capturing the the whole essence of Mary Poppins, you know, uh, I don't think she gets enough praise for that. Mm hmm. Because I'm a little I mean, sad that they didn't serialize it. It would be cool yeah. to see more, more adventures with Mary Poppins. Now that they've established a new Mary Poppins for this new generation, mm -hmm. great. If if that's where you're going, do it. You know, give us give us more Mary Poppins adventures that aren't just a rehash of the original. Right, like um, that. She could, that that's perfect for like a limited series on Disney Plus. You know? Oh, absolutely. Like each episode is a different family that Mary helps. Mm -hmm. But like. Oh, and then you could do a bunch of like fun guest actors and stuff. Like. Yeah. Ah, man. That'd be so cool. That's money. Disney, hire uh -huh. me. <laughs> hire me, please. Ben, uh, I think what you need to do is write some spec scripts oh, for man. the continued adventures of Mary Poppins. Yo, there's a lot more and books. Just, like just show up at the studio um yeah because um i don't remember the exact details of um of walt disney and pl travers deal but there are a lot of those mary poppin books right uh, i actually have no idea ah. i believe it well i highly recommend that you watch the movie saving mr banks because <laughs> I, that's true i've not seen the movie i should I know a lot of people give it flack for, you know, um, romanticizing this story, you know, but um, I like the movie. I like Tom Hanks as, as uh, Walt Disney. <laughs> Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks is such a national treasure. I can't imagine him doing a bad job as Disney. Right? Yeah, no, he's great. And, you know. Which, um, which I get is part of the argument. People being like, yeah, but everybody loves Tom Hanks and we should be mad at Walt Disney. Right. So Tom Hanks playing Walt Disney is a problem. Mm. We all like him too much. Yeah, you know. Um, I was talking about propaganda earlier with, about uh, Tom Cruise's character, but hey, who else does propaganda... <laughs> like disney right yeah no yeah <laughs> but i mean like tom hanks and emma thompson in a movie pretty good mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even even colin farrell was good in that movie and i don't mean that to say like oh even colin farrell's a good actor no he's a very good say, actor man shots fired <laughs> no but he has like such a small role compared to the two of them in that in that movie uh and he still manages to shine you know nice his parts in the movie are, are, are almost the heart of uh, saving Mr. Banks. Um, but <laughs> it's so funny how he got on, on saving Mr. Banks from edge of tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. The, the train just keeps on it going. Um, it's true. <laughs> getting back to the movie. I, I right. was curious your thoughts on this because it's such a sci-fi trope. Uh, but uh, this was yet another movie where the aliens invade our planet. and We're like, ah, oh, aliens, Ugh, they're taking over the place. They're just like a virus. And it, mm. it, it bugs me as almost like a lazy option that we continually fall back to viruses as the like primary metaphor 
for alien invasions. Yeah. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. I mean, that's a, that's a really interesting point. And, you know, especially when it's a villain that they can't understand, you know, Mm -hmm. so there's, there's no talking about it. No, there's no talking it over. And it's, you know, um, I feel, (laughs) you know, it's when you frame it like that now, it's like, oh man, look at the things that we just went through going through viruses, but like viruses have been around forever. So, I mean, if they weren't making it a metaphor for a virus, it totally could have been a thing. But like, um, but I feel like the thing about Edge of Tomorrow is that even though it has the potential and um, the opportunity to dig very deep into a lot of things that are brought up in here, I think just for what's on the screen it's it's fun you know and i think because it's fun it kind of masks a lot of those things like like the the commentary on the military and mm-hmm. uh you know the the alien invasion and like you know fate like all of these right. huge themes um i feel like are easily digestible when the movie is actually fun right and not well, enough and movies do that anymore, you know? Like, either one thing is heavier than the other that outweighs the fun, so it kind of, like, kills the vibe. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's telling with this one especially that the the aliens in question do not get over-explained. We only get enough uh, explaining of the aliens to give us the problem that our characters are facing. Like, okay... This is this kind of alien. This is this kind of alien. You got to kill that kind. But that kind, if you kill that kind, it resets the whole thing. And that's the one that you're connected with. Cool. That's all we need to know. And then there's this other one. That's your objective. Cool. Great. But at no point do we actually explain, like, how does their physiology work? Where are they from? What's their deal? What do they want? We don't know what they want still at the end of the movie. Uh, and most importantly, are they like robots? Are they mechanic? Like, how is it that killing the one deactivates every single other one physically? If it's yeah. not like, and I get that it's like a hive mind or whatever, but that's never they don't over-explain it. Yeah, it's not like you, where it's not like they're the Borg where you have some backstory uh, about it. Mm-hmm. You know, they they just uh, expect you to accept it uh, and suspend disbelief in that instance. And I think if and when a sequel actually does get off the ground, your questions will play more into it than it did in this first one. Because now they have, like, all of these dead mimics, right? Like, because they, at the end, they were just like, oh, yeah, for some reason, the enemy just gave up and stopped fighting. And to me, that sounded like, oh, they're just dead bodies everywhere of mimics. So almost like the Battle of uh, New York in the MCU, you just have all these things lying around just waiting to be dissected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think almost like almost like Pacific Rim, you know, where they're using things like to for things they shouldn't be using them for. Mm hmm. You know, I, I think it could almost get to those kinds of levels. Yeah, I I do I do wonder if the next if they did do a sequel, yeah, is it going to be about humans trying to use alien tech? 
Mm. That makes sense. I think because I, how I, else if I'm would understanding you... what you're pitching? Yes, no, absolutely. Because how else would you reintroduce the the time travel dynamic, right? Because well, they, they that... did they did drop in the movie that there are probably thousands more of those asteroids floating around. Exactly. So yes. you you could do okay. Well, now there are two asteroids, so there are even more of them, or you know whatever, or maybe they parallel time jump or something or mm. you, you know we've we've come a long way in pop culture time travel in the mainstream yeah you know now the average moviegoer understands the multiverse more than they ever have before right um so Whether if they you like were it gonna or not screw around yeah yeah so if you're gonna screw around with like alternate timelines or you know whatever um the 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 ground has never been more fertile for that sort of thing. Right. Like maybe one of the potential timelines in which uh, cage, you know, died. One of those timelines could figure a way to get back to the, the original one. You know, I, I have, cool. I have trouble talking about stuff like that now because of Loki, because I'm always just like, Oh yeah. You know, the sacred timeline and you know, a branch mm-hmm. coming back to the, <laughs> And only like I half like... the people know what I'm talking about. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I like that every time travel movie now has the opportunity to define their own rules because of there being so much out there, um, and there being a a common point of reference for you to go from to expect the audience to have. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, that is probably very limiting as a scriptwriter in other ways. Yeah, because, you know, we can't completely depend on uh, Back to the Future to define all the rules, right? Mm-hmm. Back to the Future's mm-hmm. done a whole lot of heavy lifting over the years. <laughs> it has gotten name-checked like six or seven times just in the last few uh, years of Marvel films. It's true. Hey, you know that really old movie? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh all right well um, i did i did want to very briefly just for kicks point out that uh tom cruise can't make it an entire film without getting on a motorcycle oh my god uh, so true <laughs> but then also in this one a motorcycle and a helicopter and like, a helicopter yeah like dude <laughs> tom cruise gonna tom cruise that's true that's uh always even all the way back to risky business <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but you were about to take us home, so go for it. Right, yeah. So, Ansel, uh, would you say that Edge of Tomorrow was worth your time? Absolutely. I enjoyed the hell out of this movie. Um, when I first watched it, I enjoyed it uh, again now. It had been long enough that I'd kind of forgotten a lot of the details, and so it was. I still came in with more or less fresh eyes. And yeah, just super fun. Super fun film. Uh, good time. Uh you can do what I did and have to go do your laundry and make dinner in between watching it and you, you won't get lost. Uh, so yeah, delightful time. We're well worth it. Absolutely. And it's on Hulu. Oh, it is. Mm-hmm. I watched it on max. <laughs> oh, there you go. I think I saw it was on uh, Netflix as well. So oh, it's, it there seems you go. to be very accessible. Plenty of opportunities to watch it, which is great because I also agree that, uh, you know, this this is the type of blockbuster 
you know, that you should be seeing on the big screen, you know, like so much going on, a ton of action, a lot of fun, you know, kind of funny a little bit that it doesn't take itself too seriously. You know, I bet this would have been dope in IMAX 3D. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, I may have even seen it in IMAX 3D and I'm just not remembering. But, you know, uh, some of the movies just blend together sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's been so many. I only go to IMAX 3D for explosions, so any movie with explosions, I'm like, yeah, I might have. That's it's very plausible that that was where I saw it. That's definitely the way to do it. Um, but yes, uh, Edge of Tomorrow, uh, very fun, very good. Two thumbs uh, up. Yeah, two two mimic tendrils way up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like they don't have fingers, but <laughs> yeah, I know they have this uh, t- stabby tentacles. <laughs> Two stabby tentacles, way up. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, you know, uh, we'll be back next week with another episode talking about Edge of Tomorrow, where we bring you some edutainment. You know. You know the deal. We've been doing this long enough, right? You get the point. It's a little bit... Yeah. You know the hand motion that comes along with saying edutainment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, while you're uh, while you're anxiously awaiting that, you can find us on the internet. I'm at bsilverio20 on Instagram, Twitter, Twitch... Not Twitch. Maybe Twitch. Uh, <laughs> but Why I meant not? to say Threads. Um, and blue sky. <laughs> uh, I am at indecisionist on Twitter and at the indecisionist on all of the uh, meta properties, uh, along with blue sky. Uh, come find me there. This has been an indecisionist production. Special thanks to April Moralbo for our podcast art and to Marlon Longid of Marlon and the Shakes for our amazing theme song. You can join in the conversation by using the hashtag time to party. That's time the number two party. Or time the number two party all spelled out. Thanks to Warwick. Yeah, and we're never calling it X. By the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and while while we continue to misname Elon Musk's social media, uh, we also want to remind you to be excellent to each other. And party on, dudes. Yeah. Yeah.